0: We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome. I'm Julie Sidenko, and before we begin, I want to let you know that there's going to be an incredible deal on Leslie's best-selling book, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage, I'll tell you all about it soon but for now i'm here with the author of that very powerful book leslie vernick and today we are answering a very important question what is abuse now despite what it may look like on social media there really is no perfect relationship so how do you know if yours is one of those not perfect relationships or if it's actually abusive
1: that's a great question julie because you're right there is no perfect person there is no perfect marriage The Bible says that we all stumble in many ways, Um, but I differentiate the difference between a difficult marriage, a disappointing marriage, and a destructive marriage in this way. A difficult marriage is one in which there's external stressors. Uh, There may be some financial problems, job losses, military travel, uh, autistic children or special needs children. It may be a blended family where there's a lot of external stresses bearing in on the relationship itself or on the family system. And it requires the two individuals in that relationship to um, grow up, to be mature, to handle those difficulties, to learn to handle those difficulties in healthy, godly ways. And it can be actually a time of growing closer together. It doesn't have to become destructive. However, sometimes difficulties bring out the worst in us. And that's another wake-up call to say, wow, We're not mature. We're not handling something very well. We need to learn to handle stress better. We need to learn to handle a special needs child in a more gracious way. Whatever we need to learn to do, God's put that in our life in terms of difficulties for us to mature. He tells us that no trial comes our way except for the purpose of helping us to build those muscles for us to grow up into the person He calls us to be. So, difficult is life. Difficult is some marriages, some of the time. And difficult is some marriages much of the time. But I think difficult doesn't have to lead to destructive. The second one, disappointing, is also very common to all marriages because nobody marries a perfect person. And so there's some things that your spouse is going to be lacking that you wish he or she wasn't. Maybe you thought she was going to cook like your mom and she doesn't. Or you thought she'd be interested in sex every day and she's not. Or you thought he was going to be so ambitious that you were going to be able to move into your dream home. Or you thought he was going to be so romantic that he would you know, think of special gifts for you for no reason. And it's just not happening. And you're just disappointed that he's not this man or she's not this woman that you dreamed as your perfect soulmate, the person who was gonna complete you, the Jerry Maguire, the Hollywood Harlequin image of marriage, which is totally false. It's totally given us a storyline that no one can sustain in a long-term relationship. And so we get disappointed. And again, how we handle our disappointment uh, determines whether we grow and mature and learn to love the person they are, imperfect flaws and all, or we kind of insist on sticking with our fantasy line that I'm going to get a perfect person if only I keep searching. And people go through multiple partners that way. I remember meeting a man at a bar. that was at a business meeting and I wanted to just get some food from the takeout place. And that's the place I had to go to get some food to go to my room. And he was sitting there and we were just talking about what we do. And I told him what I did and he goes, oh, you know, I'm on my... Fourth marriage, and I've just never found the right person. In his mind, if I found the right person, she would be everything I need her to be. And there is no one person who can be everything you need them to be, because in essence, you're asking that person to be God for you, and they can't. So all marriages are disappointing in some way or another, but that doesn't necessarily make them destructive. A destructive and abusive relationship goes way beyond disappointing and difficult. A destructive relationship is one in which Someone's patterns of behavior regularly
0: diminish and destroy the very dignity of the other. So, what if you have something happen in your relationship that is absolutely destructive? Maybe you have a fight and your husband pushes you or you throw something, but that's not something that happens all the time. Is it still a destructive marriage? You know, Julie, that's an incredibly good
1: question because we're all capable of doing some awful things to one another cheating, lying, demeaning diminishing, degrading one another with our words. Uh, We do that even to people we love, our children, our spouses. So is that abuse? Yes. Is that an abusive or destructive relationship? Maybe. So here's the defining feature. All of us are capable of doing incredibly awful, sinful things. The Bible tells us that. If we think we're not, we're deceiving our own selves. However, if we should happen to cross the line, and do something that harms someone we love, because the Bible says love does no harm. So if we do some harm, we break trust. We make someone afraid of us. We diminish their God-given dignity in the words that we use, and the way that we talk. Then if we are a relatively healthy person, we will take responsibility for crossing that line. We will know that we have harmed someone we love and we won't make excuses, we won't minimize, we won't justify. We won't ignore we will take responsibility for what we've done and the impact it has caused the relationship and we will make amends we will repent and most importantly we don't keep repeating that behavior so i would call that an abusive or destructive incident which can happen and does happen in some relationships and especially a long-term relationship like marriage you may have an incident. Where someone pushes you or says something horrible in a moment of anger or frustration, or lies to you or cheats on you, watches pornography. And those behaviors in a relationship break trust and they break safety. And once that trust and safety is broken, it takes a lot of work to repair it. Therefore, if the one who has broken trust and safety isn't really willing to own what they've done and take responsibility for that and do some work so that they don't keep repeating it, Then that marriage will break because you can't rebuild trust and safety if this behavior keeps repeating.
0: When you hear the word abuse, I know most people immediately think of physical abuse, but there are other types of abuse, aren't there?
1: There certainly are. Um, People can use their words as weapons, people can use money and power as weapons, they can use sex as a weapon, and they can even use the Bible as a weapon. But we wanna really look at why are they using these weapons? What's the outcome they want? Because an abusive relationship, not just an abusive incident, but an abusive relationship isn't about the technique someone uses, whether it's they hit you or they call you names. Those are two different techniques or whether they just ignore you for days and days and days and days. The reason someone uses these tactics, these abusive tactics, whether they be overt tactics or covert tactics is to control you is to silence you, is to get you to stop bugging them, stop asking them for something, stop disagreeing with them, stop feeling something, stop doing something. They're trying to control your ability to be you, your ability to be free to be you, your ability to ask questions, your ability to dissent and say, this isn't good. I disagree with this. I don't want this. I want that. They're trying to silence you into total submission and control, and they use all of these tactics to do that. The other main element, the pattern that we want to look at, so are these tactics working to control you? And are these tactics working to diminish you? You see, I can control you easier if I can diminish you. If I can make you believe that you're worth less than I am, then you will also believe that I'm worth more than you are. And since I believe I'm worth more than you are, then my needs and wants should and do matter more than yours. And I'm entitled to more because I'm worth more. And that is the characteristics of an abusive and destructive relationship.
0: What are some ways that a person gains control over someone else?
1: Well, you talked about physical abuse. And if it only happens a couple of times, is that really an abusive relationship? It absolutely is. I mean, if someone holds a gun to your head once, they don't have to hold it to your head every night to know that they can do it again. And it's scary to live with someone who has used that tactic to get you to do something maybe you didn't wanna do. I remember a woman I worked with whose husband was a policeman and he would walk around the house with his holster on. And she knew what that meant, that if you don't do what I want, I might use this on you. He never had to actually use it on her to let her know that he could. And he could probably get away with it. So sometimes we use those tactics, spiritual tactics. I'm the head of this house. You have to do what I say. I'm the husband. You have to submit. Submission is a choice. But when someone says you have to submit, that's not submission anymore. That's control. And so using the Bible, using emotional words to diminish your value, your God-given dignity, your worth, to make you feel inadequate, stupid, shamed worth less so that they gain power over you so you don't make a decision because I don't know what to do. I'm too stupid. I don't know as much as you do. You're smarter than me. And so as you begin to be more manipulated in your mind and feeling unsafe in your spirit and even in your physical body, you're much more easily controlled.
0: There's a lot of people who don't think it's possible to have sexual abuse in marriage because they believe the Bible teaches our bodies belong to one another. Can you respond to that?
1: Yes. Um, Actually, I did have a seminary student once when I was teaching this uh, on domestic violence at a seminary I was teaching, and he raised his hand and said that argument. Well, there can't be sexual abuse in a marriage because a wife has no right to say no. First Corinthians 7 says that, but that's not what First Corinthians 7 says. So first of all, whenever you look at the Bible, you need to understand it's a, a story about God's love for humankind and God's rescuing us. From ourselves, in order to have the life he's called us to have and restore us to relationship, to relationship with him and relationship with one another. All of the 10 commandments have to do with that relationship goal, a relationship with God and a relationship with others. That's why we shouldn't steal. That's why we shouldn't commit adultery. Why? Because it harms our relationships. So if we understand the heart of God and the picture of God in the Bible, the storyline, then we can't just take one paragraph out of this whole storybook and make a theology around that. That would be poor exegesis of scripture. So if we look at first Corinthians seven, it was written in response to the mindset and the teaching of the day for new Christians, that sexual abstinence was always better than sex, that the body was somehow inferior and base. And if you were truly a good Christian, you wouldn't do sex and you wouldn't want sex. And Paul is countering that teaching for married people. He's saying, hey, that's not true. If you're married, enjoy your sexual relationship. Husbands, you know, enjoy your sexual relationship with your wife. Wives, enjoy your sexual relationship with your husbands unless by mutual consent, mutual consent, you decide to abstain for a while. Husbands, wives, your body is not your own. The most operative word in this passage is the word likewise. Every woman in patriarchal culture, which is where the Bible was written, where men had the power over women, women were treated like sex objects in many instances, Paul is trying to change that mindset and change that relationship style by saying, likewise, hey guys, the power that you have, your wife's body is not her own, is the same power she has in that your body is not your own. Plus, so many other passages talk about love does no harm, we treat one another with honor, that husbands love your wives and sacrifice for them would never justify a power over I have the right to abuse you and take you whenever I want, because you're an object to use. The Bible never teaches that. He restores God's given dignity and worth to women, especially to slaves as well, who were the oppressed in that culture. And so that passage, when we see it's a husband's right to have unlimited sex. And that there is no requirement for consent is just not being true to the scriptures.
0: You were talking about mutual consent. If a wife feels like her husband has treated her like crap all day long, is it okay for her to say, look, I don't want to have sex with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because she's telling him the truth.
1: You see, in a relationship, when you don't feel safe with someone or you don't feel cared about. By someone, when someone has treated you like crap all day long, the last thing that you feel like doing is kissing them, of sharing lovemaking together. And so it's absolutely essential that you say, when you treat me like I'm worth less than you are, when you treat me like I'm just a maid, a slave, a wife, a mom, a nobody to care about, just somebody to serve you, including now in bed, that doesn't work for me. I wanna be treated as if I'm important and that you love me and that we're together making love, not I'm fulfilling your needs once again for sex, just like I fulfilled your needs for dinner and I fulfilled your needs to take care of your kids while you were laying on the couch all day. That's not working for me. This is a mutual relationship. And again, we go back to the healthy relationship of mutuality, reciprocity and freedom and we have the freedom as women to say no. But let me also say that we have the freedom as women to say yes. And so if we don't particularly feel in the mood, but we want to love our husbands and we want to submit to their desire to have sex, we're free to do that too. So it's not a matter that every woman has to say no just because she doesn't feel like having sex. Sometimes I don't feel like making dinner, I still make dinner. Not because I want to eat a big dinner, but because other people want to. And I love those people in my life and I want to serve them. So we want to be careful with our no. Our no needs to serve a purpose to write the relationship. When the relationship is off and it's heading toward more and more destructive elements in that relationship, the best thing that you can do as a godly woman is to speak the truth in love, that our relationship is deteriorating. And I'm not going to lie and pretend in the bedroom. But it's good it's
0: not good and we need to fix this or i want to fix this maybe you're still wondering if your relationship is abusive or not well this friday only september 29th the kindle version of leslie's book the emotionally destructive marriage is on sale for just $2.99 on amazon along with its best-selling information there's a quiz in the beginning of the book that will tell you whether your marriage is destructive This book has been instrumental in so many lives, including mine. So set a reminder for this Friday, September 29th, go to Amazon and search for Leslie's book, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage, and buy the Kindle version for just $2.99. Some people, Leslie, would say that they're being emotionally abused in their marriage, but the Bible doesn't really mention that term. So how do we know emotional abuse is a real thing?
1: You know, I think that there is a myth in this culture that if you say anything hard to me, that's abusive. And that's not true. The Bible tells us that faithful are the wounds of a friend. And sometimes we need to say hard words to people like you're being destructive. You're drinking too much. You're going off the rails. You're cheating on your husband. Why are you doing that? We need to say some hard words to our friends, but not in a degrading, diminishing way, but hard words need not be harsh words. So the Bible doesn't use the term emotional abuse, but it does Use the term "abusive words," and so I think there are words that can be abusive, and the proverbs is full of warnings about our words. Life and death is in the power of the tongues. Proverbs says, in Proverbs twelve eighteen, it says, "Reckless words pierce like a sword," and in Proverbs eleven nineteen, it says, "With their words, the godless destroy their friends." In the New Testament, in Colossians and Ephesians, Paul talks about abusive words, corrupt speech. And he says, this ought not to be in a Christian's language. James talks about the power of our words to use our tongue as a weapon to harm others. And so the Bible is full of examples. Here's an example in Psalm 69, 20, where words broke someone's heart. The psalmist says, your insults have broken my heart and I am in despair. And in Psalm 55, it says this. It says, it's not an enemy who taunts me. Those are words. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. Those are words. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. Words hurt. Words are powerful. And God tells us to use our words wisely because that old nursery rhyme, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is just not true. Actually, studies by Amnesty International on prisoners of war, as well as people in jail, know that physical restraint and physical threat is usually not enough to maintain control over someone who's in a prison camp or even in a prison cell and so they have to use their words to bully and intimidate and undermine the confidence and the dignity of the people under their power so that they can maintain control and so our words are powerful and the bible says that very clearly and so yes someone can use their words to control someone probably better than they could using their physical force
0: what if there's a woman listening and recognizing man, I've been abusive in my relationships. I would say the same thing to hers. I would say to a man who
1: said that, if
0: you are
1: aware that you've been abusive, that you've used your words to harm someone, to control them in order to get your way, in order to diminish their dignity because you're worth more and they're worth less than you are, then the first step is to own that. Own that, confess that. Go to God and tell him, you don't want to be that way anymore. And maybe we've learned that way from childhood. We've grown up with people who've done that to us. And now we get to do that to them. That's how it happens. That's why it's so important that we talk about this. Even in the church, it happens. And that God is very clear. The sins of the fathers and the mothers are passed on to the next generation. Whether your children will turn out to be victims of abusers, or they will turn to be the abusers themselves, that's what happens. And so we want to change this. And we're starting now in this generation with you. And so confess it to the Lord, confess it to your children or your husband, if you're using your words in bad ways. And then you're going to have to do some hard work. You're gonna have to do some hard work to do two things. One is you're gonna need to learn something that you didn't learn in childhood. And that is how to manage your emotions, because you see, oftentimes our emotions are getting upset. We're getting stressed out. We're feeling overwhelmed. We're feeling angry. We're feeling hurt. We're feeling afraid. And we don't know how to handle those feelings in appropriate ways in mature ways. And so we handle them like little kids, like throwing a temper tantrum or calling people names and doing some pretty immature and destructive things. And so if you didn't learn how to do that as a kid, and many of us didn't, I didn't either, then you have to learn that now. And learning those things takes some hard work. It may take some coaching, some counseling, some accountability to begin to recognize how do I identify my feelings and how do I manage those feelings in a way that doesn't cause harm to my relationships? And that's your work to do. That's not marital work to do. That's personal work to do so that you can be the person that God calls you to be. You don't wanna stay immature. You wanna grow to be more mature. Your body's mature now as an adult but your emotional life and the way that you handle things when you're not feeling your best indicate that emotionally you're still immature.
0: What about the argument that the woman is somehow provoking abusive behavior or, well, you made me do this? Well, there's a smidgen
1: of truth to that. Just like we talked about, our emotions get stirred up when someone doesn't do what we want, right? So, so when, when a husband say, you're provoking me because I want you to stop confronting me or I want you to stop talking or I want you to stop nagging me, however he would put it, And you're not. So I'm going to get loud and scary so that you will. You didn't make me get loud and scary. I just don't know how to handle my feelings when you won't let me control you. When you won't stop doing what I want you to stop doing, then I have to get loud and scary. And how many of us have done that
0: as parents? I'm feeling a little bit of guilt right now. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Uh, me too. Our kids won't stop doing what we want them to stop doing, but we can make them stop doing that by getting really scary. And then we can control them. And if we do that as a regular pattern in our relationship with our kids, guess what? Our kids will feel afraid of us. They won't trust us and they won't like us. Is that what you want as a long-term outcome of controlling a moment? And so, yes, the truth is truth alert It's this relationship truth, unfiltered truth alert. People bug us. They provoke us. They don't do what we want them to do. They do what we don't want them to do. They talk back. They give us lip. They disagree. They do things that we don't want them to do at all. They spill their milk. They bring dirty footprints in the kitchen. They do stuff that just bugs the heck out of us. They drive too slow in front of us. Person who is too slow at the cash register, our spouse who won't shut up, our kid who has smart mouth. That's the truth. It stirs up something in us, emotions, that make us want to make them stop. So our job in that moment isn't to justify, it's my right to make you stop, or it's my right to smash into your car because I don't like the way you were driving. We can sort of see the ridiculousness of that kind of thinking. If I don't like that someone's driving so slow and I feel like I have a right to tailgate them or smash into their bumper just to get them to move over, to bully them, to do what I want so I can keep going. Do you see how insidious that mindset is? I'm worth more than you are. My time is more valuable than your time. I deserve to be able to have freedom to do what I want at the expense of harming you. Or scaring you and if i scare you by tailgating you i can get you to move over so i get to do what i want to do this mindset is insidious in our culture and it's really destroying families and lives and so if we recognize that we're using hey you made me do it kind of excuse we're still acting immaturely because god says that we each are responsible for how we handle the stresses of life yes the truth is People are going to provoke you. People are going to not do what you want them to do. And they are going to do what you don't want them to do, whether they're your children, whether they're your spouse, whether they're your boss, whether they're your employee, whether they're the pokey driver in front of you. That's true. How you handle that is 100% your responsibility. So it's true. People will provoke you. It's not true that they made you abuse
0: them. Leslie, if someone is listening and realizes she is in an abusive relationship, what should she do next?
1: You know, it's always easy to say, Oh my gosh, now I'm going to tell him he's an abuser <laughs> and he needs to change. And that's going to go over really well, <laughs> or not. <laughs> um, it's not going to go over well. There are ways that you need to speak up to him, but not that way. But the first thing that you need to do is do your own work. Because if you've allowed yourself to be in an abusive relationship for any length of time, you have to ask yourself why. What are the beliefs that you've had that have made this acceptable to you, that have made this okay? Like the belief that God cares more about my marriage than my dignity and worth, or God cares more about me keeping my marriage together than whether I'm falling apart on the inside. And so I have to lie and pretend to my husband in order to kiss him or in order to be nice to him because inside I'm seething with anger and rage, or I'm totally checked out and depressed, but I can't be honest about that because that would harm our marriage And so God must care more about that than me. And that's not true. So you have some work to do before you can speak on the outside the truth of what you need to speak. You have to face some lies on the inside that you've believed about yourself or about God or about relationships that have kept you stuck in this place for this long. This isn't the first time that he's hit you or this isn't the first time that you've kind of considered that this relationship isn't normal or isn't healthy. But why have you colluded or closed your eyes or gone along? And most Christian women tell me it's because they believe they didn't have a choice. It's because they believe that this is what God wanted them to do, because they believe the words of their husband and the misuse of scripture over them. And that's why we're doing this podcast, so that you begin to wake up to your own dignity, value, and worth. Not that you're better than him, but you're certainly not less than him. And so God calls you to mature as well and not to live passive and afraid and stuck and silent. But in order for you to get to that place, you have some healing and some maturing to do. So that's your first step. And you do that best in a sense with community of other like-minded women who are on that same journey. You know, it's easier to lose weight when you join Weight Watchers. It's easier to exercise when you go to a gym. So it's easier to really face some of this hard stuff when you're in a community of other women. So I would highly recommend you check out Some online support groups, Conquer is one that we offer and there's others, but that you highly check those out so that you can get some online support, that you um, check out my Facebook pages and find out other people who might be in those situations that you can partner with. And if you're really in a dangerous situation, that you contact your domestic violence local organization for some immediate support. And their number is 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-SAFE.
0: If you're still not sure whether you're in an abusive relationship, there is a free test at leslievernick.com. I'm going to put a link in our show notes and you can find it there. Leslie, would you please pray for us? I'd love to. Thanks, Julie. Father God, I just pray for any woman or man or
1: even teenager who might be listening to this who's saying, wow, I think I'm in a destructive relationship. I think I'm in a destructive family. And even maybe I'm the one who's being destructive. I'm handling myself in immature, destructive, hurtful ways to the people I say I love. That I'm lying to them, that I'm cheating on them, that I'm using my words to get them to shut up, to get them to feel bad, to get them to feel like they're stupid and less than I am. I'm using my physical strength to control people, to get them to do what I want or stop doing what I don't want them to do. Lord, I pray that. The listener who's in that place would really repent and realize that they have some work to do in order to be the person you made them to be. You didn't make them to be an abuser. That's not who you made them to be. And Lord, for the victim here, you didn't make them to be a victim either. There are victims of oppressors in this world, but you're not meant to be married to one. And if you're married to one or one is your parent and they are oppressing you so that you can't breathe without their permission, you can't think the way they want you to think, You can't do the things that you believe God's calling you to do. This is not healthy. This is not God's plan for relationships. He wants you to enrich and enhance and support each other to be whole, to be healthy, to be all that God called you to be, not to diminish one in order to satisfy the desire to control for the other. That is not God's plan for relationship. And so, Lord, I pray that whoever's listening would just... Take to heart your truth, that you love them, that you've created them with value and dignity, that you have a plan for their life. And that requires maturing into the person you've called them to be and not changing another person. So you would help each person do their own work to be the person you've called them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Don't forget the Kindle version of Leslie's best-selling book, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage will be on sale this Friday only, September 29th, on Amazon for just $2.99. Until next time, I'm Julie Sedanko with Leslie Vernick. And our prayer is that God bless all of your relationships with Him, with others, and with yourself.